Welcome to another episode of Tigers SRD here on SportsRealDetroit.com. I'm Roger Cassino, I'm Chris Brown. Tonight we have a special guest in the managing editor of BlessYouBoys.com. And we welcome in also uh, former co-host of the Voice of the Turtle podcast, which was an excellent podcast. And uh, with Hookslide, our friend over at uh, Rob, we're bringing our special guest in, Rob Jojacki. Am I seeing Rojacki. Rojacki, Rojacki. I, <laughs> I looked at it and... Also, at the same it, time, I it's am, all right, man. Just keep rolling with it. Everyone right. screws it up. All right. So I feel like everyone else listening to this is thinking the same thing in their head, too. <laughs> well, at any rate, um, yeah, my name pronunciation has never been my strong suit. However, be that as it may, uh, we roll on and bring in Rob talking Tigers, talk a little bit about what's going on in the league and just kind of getting some analysis on some uh, injuries and just kind of uh, catching up with you. Rob, how have you been? I've been good. How about you guys? Yeah, doing well here. It's uh, it's. I understand you're down in D.C. It's correct. Been incredibly hot up here. I always, I always oh, it's think been... of D.C. as being a swamp. Yeah, like, no, just... it's very been very very swampy lately. Uh, I've been to a couple soccer games out here lately, actually, uh, and it's just been absolutely brutal. Uh, I'm glad that those are only two hours long and not you know three four hours like the, uh, the Nats games can be sometimes. Oof. Yeah. No, I'm I. My great grandmother lived in Arlington. Most of my, my like my grandparents grew up around DC, mm-hmm. like Chevy Chase, Maryland, and stuff. I actually don't know how close that is, but uh, yeah, no, right outside. So we we used to go down there every summer, and I just remember being just incredibly hot and sweaty, even when I was mm-hmm. like eight. Yep, pretty much. I mean, from like June to like September, it's just sweat all the time. Have you been in, have you been enjoying the Wayne Rooney experience so far? Oh, very nice. It's uh, it's been fun. The team's been better lately. They got a nice shiny new stadium. Uh, funded, I think, all through taxpayer minor money, which is lovely. Um, but the stadium is very stadium is very nice. Uh, like I said, it's either been hot or like a monsoon for every game so far. So hopefully it cools down into September. We can get some actual nice weather for a game. Uh, but I actually have uh, season tickets for them, so it's uh, it's been fun being at those games. Right. And uh, Rooney, <laughs> exactly. Um, recovering from the Michigan uh, loss over Notre Dame. I mean, I, I don't. I'm a Michigan fan. Yeah. I mean, I, we, I, I, I do we say. do we really do we really got to talk about that? Let's talk about something happier, like the uh, uh, sixty what was it no fifty six and eighty three Detroit Tigers. Yes, we could absolutely yes. talk about that because yeah, I don't want to reopen the wound, but uh, at any rate, so uh, the Tigers, by the way, um, with kicks off our inside the numbers segment. I do want to celebrate something even happier, which is the celebration this weekend of the fiftieth anniversary team, of the nineteen sixty eight Tigers, who won the World Series, and of course. Captured and won a, probably a, a great pennant race. I mean, in the two years, they lost 67 to the Red Sox, of course. But in 68, came back, won the World Series, played a fantastic out-dueling Bob Gibson. And my inside numbers start with a guy who I, I think, in terms of will he make the Hall of Fame, probably not. But should deserve some consideration. And that is one Bill Freehand. And the reason why I bring up Bill Freehand is the number I want to look at is 7.0. That was his war in 1968, and this is a guy who, 11-time All-Star, even even in his latter years, 1975, where he had an All-Star season, um, this Bill Freehand was really the, the backbone of that ball club, at least in my opinion, in terms of defensively. Offensively, that year, 25 home runs, 84 RBIs, and just how valuable he was. He finished, he was so valuable, he finished second in the MVP race uh, that year and was a gold glove one of his uh, three and four in a row gold glove seasons during that time span. And just the tip of the cap to him, I know he's not the greatest of health, so hopefully everything is getting better on that end. And uh, Bill Freehand, 
7.0 war, 7.0 war, I think is something that uh, should be mentioned. And I think he should deserve some Hall of Fame consideration, but I know with, I don't know, it just it seems like the standards on that side of things could vary but in terms of catchers, but he was the equivalency in the American League to Johnny Bench for a period of time, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, I obviously didn't get a chance to see him. I uh, was too, far too young at that point. Um, not even in the picture at all. Um, but I mean, this is a, this is a guy who he had two top three MVP finishes in 67 and 68. Uh, he earned that 7.0 war. Uh, looking here at his numbers, he was hit by 20 pitches in 67 and 24 in, uh, in 68, which 24 somehow didn't even lead the major leagues. Uh, which is <laughs> incredible to think about. Um, but this is a guy who put up some incredible numbers, uh, especially for the offensive era that they were in. I mean, they lowered the mound in, what was it, uh, 1969, that they actually had to lower the mound because of how dominant pitchers were at that point. Um, and so it's, uh, yeah, it just, you know, some amazing numbers, especially compared to what he did his, against his peers, an 11-time All-Star, five-time Gold Glove winner. Um, I don't know if the Silver Slugger was around at that point, but... Probably would have won a few of those as well. Um, you know, I like like I said, didn't get to see the guy play, but by the numbers, he certainly seems deserving of a of a Hall of Fame nod. Yeah, it looks like he played every single game that year. 155 games. That's what they played back then, right? Or were they up to 162 yet? They were at, um, they were at 162, I believe, at that point. I think. Either way, I mean, there's oh, no you're right age. because it was it was 61 when they went to this. Yeah. Still, yeah, 155. And there was no DH at that point. So he was, uh, you know, playing catcher, maybe playing a little bit first base on the side, it looks like here. Uh, I believe he spent maybe a a bit of time in right field, according to this, too. But, um, but yeah, it's a plated K-line for a game or two, I guess. But, no, uh, incredible numbers, incredible work rate, too, with how much he was behind the plate. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that war seems to not, be fair to catchers i think it's sort of like a relief pitcher almost where like the, the traditional sort of standard for a hall of fame player is like 70 war at least a baseball reference but i i think hands 15th all the time among catchers in war uh i feel like if you're like in the top 15 all time in your position you've got a good argument to, to be a hall of famer mm-hmm. but yeah i'm looking there's one there's one catcher with more than 70 war, or at least to fan graphs, and it's Johnny Bench. The next two are Gary Carter and Pudge Rodriguez at 68, uh, 69, 68. So it's like, yeah. So you either, I don't know, they need to lower it to like 50 or 60 or something like that. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you have, uh, who is it, Jay Jaffe that has that Jaws score um, yeah. that kind of d- d- tries to, uh, you know, parse out some stats and look at, you know, look across eras to figure out who's worthy. Uh, and Freeans actually don't really match up too well with mm-hmm. some Hall of Famers. Um, his... 44 career war, uh, according to baseball reference, is actually lower than the 53.5 average you get for a Hall of Fame catcher. Um, but also, there are only 15 catchers, 15 catchers in the history of baseball that are in the Hall of Fame. And so I think that that kind of goes back to what you're saying, that maybe our standards are too high for some of those guys. Uh, and if you were to let in some of the other guys who are probably deserving, uh, especially based on like war and some of those other statistics, um, then Freon would look more kind of like your average uh, Hall of Fame catcher. And again, these numbers are compared to average Hall of Fame catchers. So yeah. I think if you're looking at kind of the whole span of guys who are in the Hall of Fame, free and definitely, uh, I think, fits that, kind of fits that mold. And he retired fairly young, too. Uh, his last season, was, he was only 34 at that point. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. there's a lot of wear and tear on catchers, especially yeah. probably back then. Um, but still, you, had, you know, he was doing okay at that point. And you think that he may have been able to squeeze out a few more years and get a 
you know, few no four few more numbers and counting stats to uh, to his name. Yeah, and you look at you're talking about the offensive numbers that year. The Tigers as a whole collectively batted two thirty five, which was surprisingly in the top half of the American League, which was only ten teams at the time. But still, that was sixty eight was the last year of the of the, the year of the pitcher quote unquote, uh, quote unquote as you seen before and um, not to mention Bill Freehan, Michigan man and did a very good job as a coach as well so I mean he was a guy who you know he was a team from uh, I think the team coach from I think it was like late I think 89 and 95 if I remember correctly but at any rate this is a guy who did fantastic work so that was my inside numbers uh Rob what about you what about your inside numbers all right I got two numbers for you here uh they are 14 and 13 uh, the 14 represents the number of extra base hits Victor Martinez had in the first half, 10 doubles and four home runs. The 13 is the number of extra base hits he has in the second half. In only 35 games, uh, 36, I think, counting whatever they're doing tonight, um, he has eight doubles and five home runs. Uh, and I think most people have kind of grasped by now that he's actually hitting pretty well in the second half, uh, hitting 302, 338, 481. Um, and is really just kind of going out on, on his own terms. Um, you know, there's no real kind of big arching narrative here. I don't want the Tigers to re-sign him for another year. It sounds like he's kind of made peace with the fact that this is his last season, but it's just nice to see Martinez, you know, a guy who quite honestly is one of the best switch hitters of all time, uh, is going out kind of on his terms and hopefully causing more people to remember him for what he was and what he is, uh, was, you know, really one of the great switch hitters ever, a guy who was so crucial to some of those, uh, Tigers playoff teams over the years. Uh, you know, what he did in 2011, 12 home runs, but still drove in 103 runs. Uh, and then in 2014, that near MVP season where he basically carried the Tigers offense, uh, just some incredible years there. And yeah, obviously the, uh, the last contract that he signed didn't really work out too well, but, uh, the first one was quite, a quite amazing. Yeah. It's a, it's kind of a little bit reminiscent of like Maglio. We've had a couple of players here who just kind of their career really wound down in Detroit. I think it's again too, I believe. I don't think he played for anybody else, did he? Maybe. I'm blanking on that one. I'm not sure. Who would you say? But, uh, Chris, uh, Car- Car- Carlos Guillen. He played for Seattle. He played for Seattle. Oh, after, I mean, oh, the, after, after the Tigers? Tigers? Oh, after the Tigers. No, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I don't know. He retired as a Tiger. I'm sorry. So, yeah, we've, we've had a lot of these retirements yeah. lately, and it's uh, – but it is I, – I, I, you know, I think Vimart uh, – well, I certainly remember a lot of controversy over Maglio because, you know, there were – he was only hitting singles, and people didn't want him to reach his plate appearances to get the bonus or to get the contract kick in and stuff. And there's been pe- people complaining about VMart, but it is nice. In a lost season, it is kind of nice to see, uh, you know, a great veteran, from, from all accounts, a terrific clubhouse guy, a good leader, uh, you know, go out and, and prove that he can still play a little bit. You know, he's not <laughs> – I think he's still got a pretty nasty-looking war, but, uh, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, who cares probably. if he's if – he's, if he's, He's out there hitting home runs, and that's fun. And yeah, and we, someone sometimes it's. Go ahead. Someone had pointed out on Twitter the other day that he's only four home runs away from 250 for his career, nice. uh, and so you know I wouldn't mind if he kind of tried to sell out for a little bit of power over these last few games, see if he can't belt four more out to uh, to hit that number. Uh, there's you know nothing else really for him to accomplish at this point, uh, other than somehow you know he had he won a ring that would have been nice for him, but. Uh, I think that ship has sailed. So anything else that yeah. he can get to his name at this point, you know, might as well uh, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been fun watching him for sure. And then those, uh, like you said, those years where he was a key part of the the offense. 
But, um, I remember there was one game. I was in uh, I was in Baltimore at the time, watching. Uh, it was the night that the Tigers were down in the ninth inning. Miguel Cabrera hits. I don't know. I think it was like a two or three run homer. This was back in 2014, uh, right at the start of that 27 and 12 stretch. I think to start the season. Oh yeah. Um, Cabrera hits a big home run in the ninth inning. Uh, I think puts them ahead, and then Vmart like back to back. I think it was maybe a pitch or two later hits one out onto uh, onto Utah Street there in Baltimore. Um, remember being at that game, being, you know, maybe you've had a uh, one too many beers for a weeknight game. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but just, you know, that, that was just an incredible game to hear that crowd go from, you know, so loud to just completely silent after Cabrera and Vmart go back to back. That was uh, a moment I'll never forget. I feel like he, in his first game as a tiger, or at least his home debut, he hit like a bases clearing double that ended up being the, the difference in the game. But that, I mean, we're going back to like 2011, so <laughs> I don't know if I'd quote me on that one, but I feel like I, I saw that happen. So, yeah, I mean, we've got some good memories with, with Vmart for sure. Mm-hmm. And little Victor, of course, everybody likes him. Yeah. I mean, he'll be, you know, draft eligible in a few years, probably. Yeah. I think they said Victor <laughs> is planning on, uh, he's supposed to, when, when he was talking to Castellanos and Green on their podcast, I think he said he's got like a horse ranch. He's just going to go down there and, I don't know, move cattle like he's uh, Billy Crystal. Hey, whatever he wants to do, he's earned it at yeah. this point. Hey, Daniel Stern's not working right now, so you could probably go help him out down there. Um, but uh, <laughs> what's interesting about Victor Martinez, and, and I'm not trying to make this an Indians podcast, but however, that he was part of a really good draft, part of a good prospect core right there with Johnny Peralta in the early 2000s as they were on the same team together in uh, the high Class A. And, and that was, was, again, when the Indians kind of, the juggernaut slowed down in the late '90s. He kind of restarted that those Indian teams back up again. So, again, uh, kudos, and I will give kudos to the Indians on scouting this uh, Victor and just kind of, just really. I mean, I think he was drafted as a shortstop, or like, I think it was in the infield before he moved to the catcher. I can't remember if that was him or not, but uh, nevertheless, um, before he went behind the plate. But just an example of just what good scouting can bring you. And yeah, it's um, for, for what it's worth. I know a lot of fans wanted him to sit and all that, what have you, but you, you bring up some really good numbers there, Rob, and he just, he's going out the way he wants to and uh, better, not whatever. I mean, there's like this whole, well, you know, he's a, he's a, you should sit. I'm like, no, that's, that's, I, I've heard, seen that on Twitter. And I think it's, that's a ridiculous argument. So what's better for the team. I mean, especially with the tiger, with what's going on in Toledo right now, which we'll get to later. There's no reason to sit him at all. So, uh, Chris, what's your inside the number? Oh, just real quick, I, I did. I looked it up. That was yeah, Victor's first game, home game with the Tigers. He did. He had the biggest hit of the game in the first inning, a three-run double off Kyle Davies. Wow, of the Royals. That's a name. And guess, all right, he's it had scored three guys. I'm curious if you guys can guess who they are. So he was batting fifth, I think. Uh, so a couple of them are pretty obvious, but one of them it will be a, a nice pull if you can get them. All right, so Cabrero's on that team, so he probably is one of them. Correct. Um, who else was ahead of him at this point? This was 2011, right? 2011, yeah. Um, Maglio might have been. Exactly. Uh, That's at, Austin, Jack- Austin Jackson would have been lead- leading off on that team. He did lead off, but he wasn't the one who scored. It was the number two hitter. Number two hitter for that team. 2011? Yeah. Um, Crap. I think that predates Brennan Bosch. Oh, slightly. Um, I'm trying to think if it was... Uh... Might have been a little bit too early for Andy Dirks, too, but he's another one that kind of crossed my mind there. Uh, Let's see. Bosch was in the lineup batting sixth. 
Oh, he was there at that point. Though. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, would it be? Uh, would it be? Would it be Peralta? Not Peralta. No, he was batting Seth. Huh. Um, I think Guillen was gone by that point, so it wouldn't have been him. Yeah. Blanco wasn't there, obviously. Not Ryan Rayburn. Uh, Please don't tell me. I was gonna. Rayburn. That's what I was gonna say. Is Ryan Rayburn? No, not Ryan Rayburn. I, I will. Uh, I don't know if you guys want to keep asking, or I could tell you. Brandon Inch. No, Brandon Inch was batting ninth that day. Or wait, wait, after no, Avila, who was batting eighth. Please don't tell me it's not Casper Wells, is it? Not Casper Wells. <sighs> I'm trying to think of another like utility it, guy on the team. Don't wait, Delman Young. Not Delman, no. I don't think they had Delman. <sighs> okay, I got one, I got one more guess here. Was it Scott right. Scott Scott Sizemore? Oh, it was his little brother, Will Rhymes. Oh, oh man, man, Will Rhymes, who went two for four that day. That was a fun, like, year and a half with him. Yeah. He got so feisty, okay. too, when he got traded at third, when he ended up being in Tampa. Like, I'll show you guys, and then he was never seen from again, so. Yeah. Well, thanks for playing that game with me real quick. Um, <laughs> my inside the numbers is kind of obscure, and it might not mean anything, but uh, it's 5.5 feet and 5.7 feet. Um, I was messing around with uh, MLB Savant, baseball Savant earlier today and just looking at pitchers average vertical release points, you know, basically how far off the ground they, they let go of their pitches. And what something stuck out to me was that, uh, so the average, the average vertical release point for pitchers, I, I filtered it to like guys who throw in 1500 pitches. So just to starters, cause that, you know, it's what you get relievers in there. There's guys who are like, you know, sidearm and, and submariners and stuff, but the average for starter is 5.95 feet. It's almost six feet, uh, and it gets kind of – you're in rare territory if you're above six and a half feet. There are only 12 people like that, and uh, below five and a half feet, there are only 19 people like that. But what stood out to me was how many good pitchers this year have release point under that 5.5 feet. Um, I looked at it six out of the top 11 guys in war on, on fan graphs this year. I know six out of 11 is kind of obscure uh, number, but uh, – and that it includes Aaron Nola, who's in a class by himself. He's the only starter under five feet. Uh, but also uh, DeGrom, Scherzer, Sale, Kluber, Carrasco, Clevenger. Like a lot of really good pitchers uh, have a really low release point. Um, and I looked at I filtered even more and I saw that that basically I, I went to the top 15 in Fangraph's war. And only five guys in the top 100. So the, the 100 highest release points of these starters, only five of them are in the top uh, top 100 in terms of release point. It's Verlander who has the highest release point. Uh, James Paxton. Uh, who else did I have in there? Uh, Snell and Corbin in, in Zach Wheeler. And so basically you've got one third of the top 15 pitchers in war in the, <laughs> the top 100 highest release points and two thirds in the bottom 34 pitchers in terms of release point. So I don't, like I said, it, it's kind of obscure numbers here, but I don't know what to make of this, if anything. It could just be a weird coincidence, but, but I wonder if maybe, um, maybe, like, you know, that getting that uh, that vertical plane on your pitches is overrated now based on guys trying to launch, or if maybe the lower release point gives you more side-to-side movement. I don't know. It's it's uh, maybe it's worthy of more looking into, or maybe like I said, it's just completely random. But yeah, that'd be, I found it interesting. That'd be interesting to see. I mean, if you think about a guy like Max Scherzer, who really kind of has that lower three quarters almost type arm slot, 
Uh, I can't think of a lot of other guys who have uh, an arm slot kind of that, I don't want to say extreme, but you know how he kind of drops down a little bit more than some others do. Um, maybe some guys are, you know, kind of like that Kershaw drop and drive type thing, and that messes with uh, how the release point is calculated too. Um, I don't know. That'd be something interesting to see. Uh, obviously, someone who is a lot better at manipulating data than I am would probably want to take a look into that because that would take me that would take me weeks, months to uh, kind of go through all that. Yeah, the, the only other thing I was thinking is maybe that aids in extension, so you get better, you know, perceived velocity or effective velocity or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. We need to you get Brandon on this or something. Yeah, I'll give it to him. That'll be his pet project this offseason. <laughs> Outstanding. Yeah, I, I, that and the Matt the Matt Manning fan fiction. Those two will be <laughs> keeping busy all winter. What a Manning. <laughs> it, it's, it's one of those things, especially with, um, I think he would like that project and just take it with stride. So, um, But in terms of, like, here's a question too, um, Chris. With It seems like with uh, the Tigers have been obsessed with side armors or three-quarter submarine-style uh, pitchers, if you will. Is that something that, is that something that's coming back? Because I, I've see, I see a little bit more. I mean, outside of Joe Smith and, Maybe a few other, like, I know Mike Myers, former Tiger lefty, had that kind of a interesting arm delivery, but is that is that a thing you guys have, or both you guys have noticed at all that's a, a trend that's coming back at all, you think, or in terms of, like, lower, the the, slot, or the way it's delivered among those? You know, I, 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 I think there are more low-arm slot guys now than I remember. But it's possible a, a lot of times these are just completely random guys who are flashes in the pan or, or like 36-year-olds, your Vic Derensboros of the world or whatever. Like they, they make an arm change and they're on a team for like a year and a half up and down. And so they don't really register with you unless you're looking for them. So I would have to go through and look. But when I was – yeah, when I was filtering this before I filtered out uh, – you know, for the number of pitches and had all the relievers in there, there were there were like a good 25, 30 guys who had a really low release point. So I assume that there's there's you know more side armors than we realize. Yeah, it could be that because if you think about just kind of the evolution of how bullpen bullpen arms in particular have come about over the last I don't know 10, 15 years or so, it seemed like at first you know everyone was picking up velocity, and so you had a lot of these guys who were throwing 96, 97, 98 out of the pen. Now you get to the point where almost everyone is throwing that hard out of the pen, and so getting a sidearmer or someone like that, someone who can kind of change the eye level of the hitter and almost kind of just you know have a different velocity or a different look than you know all these other guys blowing smoke out of the pen may be a little bit more beneficial um i think that teams also have a lot more access to you know different data uh taking a look at spin rates and all these other things um and so you can kind of pick up on what a guy does well from that standpoint too and i guess at that point it doesn't really matter how he you know throws or manipulates the ball Uh, and if it's effective teams are i think are more willing to go with it now than they would have in the past i can run with that so it's time for the good and bad and ugly and we look at good, bad, ugly things around baseball, whether stats, stories, what have you. And Chris, I'll let you, uh, you, you, Rob, go first this evening. <laughs> All right. Well, this is my, you know, I actually had to do work this time for the, with the last two, three months or whatever. I just picked a different position group and picked a good, bad, and ugly player, but I went through all of them now, so I'm screwed. <laughs> but, uh, I picked, uh, yeah. So I, my, my good was something that Brandon mentioned earlier today and, and I looked it up and it's the Sean Doolittle challenge. I don't know if you saw that, Roger. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, I had a chance to look at it. Um, Where (laughs) there was an interview, I guess, with Kelly Wallace of Expanded Roster. And uh, 
Doolittle basically, you know, they, they, they got it to it naturally. And he basically said that uh, if somebody hits a home run off of him and does a crazy celebration that gets them fined, he will pay that fine, that amount of fine up to $10,000 to a charity of their choosing. And uh, I love this for like a dozen different reasons, uh, mostly because it always seems like pitchers are the ones who are too uptight about stuff. And it's good to see a pitcher say, I don't really care. Go out and you celebrate if you had a home run off of me. I would like to see more of that because I think that would that would really, you know, temper some of the ridiculousness that we see. You know, guys getting hit and Ronald Acuna getting hit for no reason, stuff like that. Uh, if pitchers can just learn to not care that much um, and let the players celebrate. But it's also just, yeah, it's fun and uh, it's always nice to give to charity. Now, it's going to be a little bit hard to do this. I think Doolittle has kind of a, a history of injury and he's also really good when he's healthy so but i would love to see it at some point this year and yeah. of course i always, always remember rajay davis's home run off john Doolittle. yeah hasn't he only given up like 20 something homers in his entire career that sounds about right yeah no, he, he was drafted as a first believer, baseman but really yeah out of virginia i believe hmm. and uh yeah he, you know he's a hard-throwing lefty reliever who pitches up in the zone and uh yeah, I don't know. I'd like to see it, but uh, I can keep doing my bad and ugly Roger if you want, or I could we could do it uh, round robin style. Uh, let's keep it rolling. All right. So uh, my bad is the service time issues that that people have been talking about with uh, regard to a couple prospects. You have got uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Eloy Jimenez, Peter Alonso of the Mets, and Byron Buxton, who's a little bit of a different case. And it's just uh, it's a real bummer that that the teams are keeping these players in the minors or shutting them down in Buxton's case. Basically, explicitly, they're even coming out and saying this. <laughs> I think that they're kind of sending mixed messages at times, though. They're basically saying they're doing it to mess with the service time so they get these players for longer, for an extra year. Um, and from a team perspective, it makes total sense. It's, you know, it's the smart thing to do. They, they want to get these players for that extra year. You know, the, those two weeks or three weeks, they're going to miss them at the beginning of next season. doesn't matter. And bringing them up this year to teams that are cellar dwellers doesn't help. But for the players and for the fans, it just sucks. It really sucks. And I, I don't, you know, I don't feel like this happened when we were younger. I, you know, it used to be like they, they would put out that special supplemental tops traded card set for all the guys who came up later in the year who weren't in the original card set. And it seems like like players just don't come up like that anymore. Um, and yeah, and the, the Buxton one is, is really kind of a bummer because he's, you know, he was a, a gold glover last year, like a three and a half, four win player, really good player. He had an awful year this year, was injured like six different times, didn't perform. And he's only like two weeks away from completing his third year of service time. But instead of bringing him up, the, the Twins just decided to shut him down for the year. So now, now they're going to have him for an extra year because they didn't bring him up. And it just it feels really unfair to these players. You're taking away their future earnings and, and making them one year older when they enter free agency and one year older when they could get you know a second contract if that's possible. And uh, I don't know. It, it, it sucks. And that kind of rolls into my ugly category which is, uh, and I actually like this, but I, I have a feeling things are going to get ugly. It's the MLBPA hired Bruce Meyer as their new chief negotiator. And we've talked about this a bunch, Roger, about how Tony Clark just, you know. Sucks. Well, it's, you know, he's a former player. He's not a contract lawyer. Yeah. And so it's, it's you know, it's like going to 
a gun convention with a knife. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, so like I said, I, I think that the owners in the last two collective bargaining agreements have gained a lot of leverage and have gotten a lot more power. And as we know, with, with rich and powerful people, they don't like to give that up very readily. You know, once they get it, they don't want to give it back. And, and this Meyer guy sounds like he's a legit prosecutor. I think it was uh, there was an article on Fangraphs about him and, uh, you know, saying he's one of the better trial lawyers in the entire country. And he's already dealt with issues involving the NFL and the NHL. So I'm hopeful that they can reach, a, you know, a solid agreement and the next collective bargaining agreement. But I... I'm not terribly optimistic. I feel like we might end up with some labor strife coming up, and, and that's why it's my ugly, because I think it could get ugly before it gets better. Yeah, and you know what? Getting back to, I wanted to say something really quick about, you talk about, in terms of what the owners are doing, this, this seems like the owners, despite profits being as high as they've ever been in baseball, the average salary is high as it's ever been in baseball, this seems, with not calling up players, I mean, the the Padres did not listen to that, obviously. They they, they did mm-hmm. promote uh, Francisco Mija. Uh, and Luis uh, Urias. Yeah, I mean, yeah. everybody's doing it. And we, we've seen the Tigers never really did this, I don't think. Uh, although it did happen yeah, with Porcello I mean, just by chance. I think he was... In yeah, they play. had a couple of guys like that by chance that they did that. But, I mean, yeah. you also look at Nick Castellanos being called up in 2013. He, like, rode the bench for most of September that year. He, I think he had something like 15 plate appearances, which is like a four-game series, basically. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, they brought him up at the beginning of 14. And had they actually played that service time game, we'd be talking about him being uh, under club control through 2020, if I have my math right. Uh, and he'd have yeah. an extra year there. And so... You know, if he does have that extra year, is he more willing at this point to take that contract extension that the Tigers may or may not have offered him, you know, last offseason or this year or whenever it was? Um, and, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate the Tigers didn't play that game. But uh, I, this kind of rolls into this was actually going to be my ugly is what the owners are doing with all of this. You know, the the White Sox not calling up Eloy Jimenez and uh, same with the Blue Jays and Vlad Guerrero Jr. Is that, you know, you get teams that are just kind of outright saying that, you know, for over half the season, not only are they not going to call up these guys because of service time reasons, but they're also not really putting their best team on the field. Um, you know, and it's you understand it from a certain standpoint, because why would you want to? you know what is the point in trying to really compete when you're already 20 games out of first place or whatever it is but at the same time i think that some of these teams have gone a little bit too far towards that end in that i think owners do owe it to their fans to a certain extent to put a competitive team on the field Uh, and if these guys are ready to be called up to the majors they should be uh and it's just unfortunate that we just have teams outright saying at this point that they're you know not calling their these guys up until the end of april next year or whatever it is just so they can get that seventh year of uh their pseudo seventh year of club control. Yeah, it's uh, I, I very easily could have put it in the ugly. I'm glad you did because it is. It's it's. There's some naked consumerism garbage about it that I don't like. But again, like like I said, the CBA allows for it, and uh, it's smart for the teams to do it. It just sucks for the fans and the players. Yeah, and it's it just seems like it's open. It's on the open. And I, I we joked around collusion. In the winter time, when we were doing the podcast, joking around, right. you know, but it seems—I mean, not, it's just the owners just kind of giving the middle finger, saying, "Hey, you know," like, especially in Toronto, where I'm sure they would love to see a Vlad Jr. come up right now. The Jays are completely have nothing to play for at this point. Why not let him play the last couple of weeks? But 
Yeah, I, I, yeah they, I mean, they'd sell out the stadium that whole series. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we were up there, and you saw how some of their, some fans already who had Guerrero Jr. jerseys and shirts walking around uh, Toronto. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were up there. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was up there. I was, you know, I was up there with my brother. I was, I was <laughs> Rub there. it in. Sorry, I didn't mean to rub it in, but I was with my brother and <laughs> my buddy, and we just we saw them everywhere. So, um, Rob, what's and your... it's not like it's not like Rogers doesn't have the money to pay him, you know, some sort of contract going forward too. I mean, they could offer him really kind of whatever they want. I mean, Rogers company owns Canada. Basically uh, they could, you know, they have the money. It's not like the Ray. I mean, even then the Rays, I think uh, all these teams are making money hand over fist. It's really tough to see them kind of crying poor at this point. Um, but especially a team that's, owned by a company as big as what the Blue Jays are or some of these other teams around the game. It's really just unfortunate to see them still kind of crying poor and playing these games. Ronnie, by the way, Ronnie Rodriguez and Mikey Mazzo just homered off uh, Kopchak, and now the Tigers are up three, or excuse me, four Five nothing. nothing. Is it five nothing or four nothing? Five nothing. No, five I nothing? think okay. Ronnie Rodriguez was a two-rammer and Copa, or uh, Jones was the solo right after, yeah. Oh, Jones had one. Oh, I missed that one. Wow. Three home runs? Wow. Right. Did, Did they hit five? three in a row? That was three in a row, yeah, because Ryan Rodriguez just went deep. It's four nothing. Oh yeah, it's... so Jacoby Jones hit one right after that. Wow. Not three in a, not three in a row. McCann was hitting between Matuk and uh, Rodriguez. Oh. Yeah, that's what I, I just four. went around the corner to see. All right, but uh, oh, that... yeah, Ryan Rodriguez hit one right under by the foul pole. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Rob. Go ahead with your uh, good and now Jones. Okay, so Jones just went deep. Okay, so now I'm, I'm catching. <laughs> now I'm all right. Now I'm catching up. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rob. There we go. All right. So my good is actually just baseball in general. Uh, All right. Taking a look at the standings here, uh, we have legitimate playoff races. Um, You know, back in, you know, at the start of the season, people were worried that there would be all these runaway division winners and whatnot, especially like the Dodgers out West, the Nationals in the NL East. Um, And, you know, you have a couple of great playoff races there. I mean, the National League in general is just kind of a hot mess. You have, by my count, seven, eight, nine teams within three and a half games of, or maybe it's eight teams, within three and a half games of a playoff spot. Either way, that's over half the league. Uh, The American League's not quite the same, but at least Oakland has made things a little bit interesting out west. Um, And, you know, it's just making for an exciting September, uh, one that we haven't really thought that, didn't really think that we would have going down the stretch, uh, you know, earlier this year. Yeah, no, that's it's baseball itself seems really healthy and fun. And it's probably hard for Tigers to believe Tigers fans to believe that given the season, the, the last two seasons. But yeah, there are a lot of really good teams, and like you said, a lot of really close races, particularly in the National League. And uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. It reminds me—I don't remember what year it was, uh, maybe 2010, 2011, when it came down to that final day, the famous uh, beer and chicken. A year for the Red Sox. Yeah, I think that was 2011. I want to say. I think that sounds about right because I remember not feeling stressed about the Tigers at all. I think that was the year that they really ran away with it again. Uh huh. Sounds about uh, right. Yeah, it's super exciting. And in that, I don't remember when they did it, but when baseball decided to put all the final day of the season, all the games on at like the same time. That was, uh, I think, a couple years later because wasn't yeah. it? Wasn't there like one year at one point where? Um, I want to say it was like the Cardinals. They had, they had like Wainwright scheduled to pitch or something like that. But then they like someone else lost earlier in the day, and so they clinched the division. And they just scratched him from that start. Basically, I, was 20, I, was yeah. 20, I think, I think that might have been the the same 20, that that 2011 year because I think the Braves had a collapse that year too. Oh, I maybe was, it was that year. I don't know, but I, I, um, I could remember if it was 2013, 2011 or 2013. I remember those were the years that the. Uh, mm-hmm. I could remember, but go ahead. I'm sorry. 
No, but it's just yeah. I mean, pennant races are super fun, and then that was like the you know the great thing about the wild card is it made so many more teams, you know, think they have a chance and it improved the trade deadline and all that good stuff. So yeah, yeah the, no, the second wild the second wild card has really been kind of one of my favorite advents of the game in you know a number of years, maybe even since I've been watching this sport. Um, just the wild card games in general. Uh, Detroit hasn't been in one yet, so I haven't seen the other side of this. Um, but just like the chaos of a of a one. You know, a one-game series, a play-in game, basically. Um, that's been fun to see so many more teams kind of gunning for it at the trade deadline. I mean, you had the Pirates, maybe to their detriment, going out and getting Chris Archer uh, and just some of these other moves that are around the game. I think it's it's healthy for the game, keeping more teams involved. Um, you know, even in the American League, I mean, the A's are on pace uh, are on pace for how many wins? Uh, and they, you know, in a number a number of years ago, wouldn't have even really been close to the wild card. Uh, and they get a chance to continue playing. I think it's great. Yeah, I love the, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Yankees are going to win 100 games, I think, and, and <laughs> have a one-game playoff. The uh, NL, NL West race has been fascinating to watch. Watch, watch the Rockies climb yeah. back in. And my first pennant race that I can remember that came down to the wire as a kid was 1991, when the Braves, out of nowhere, beat the Dodgers. It was like, I think it was last day. That series, I believe that division came down the last week of the se- uh, last week of the season. That was my first one that I can remember and um the Braves being last of first in the West division that year that was I mean the West was completely different back then of course but still I think the Reds were in that division too yeah the Reds were coming off the World Series yeah and I just remember the just because I had no idea the Braves were any good at that point and it was my recollection is that it was like a David versus Goliath in terms of beating the Dodgers for that so yeah the first pennant race I remember was 87 with the, uh, oh, I meant, or, I'm sorry, the, obviously with the Tigers, of course, but I meant like just... Oh, yeah, in general, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, first one I remember was probably a little bit later than that. Um, I'd probably have to say somewhere in 96 to 98 range. Uh, definitely remember McGuire and Sosa in 98. Um, yeah. Just kind of that whole, you know, Homer Fest and, and all the stuff that went along with that. That was uh, definitely an exciting year. Yeah, Absolutely. What's your bad, Rob? All right, my bad. Um, honestly, I kind of forgot what I was thinking of earlier, so I'm just going to go with Michael Fulmer. Um, <laughs> you know, he has been a little bit better since coming off the disabled list, but he still had that bum of a start against the, I think it was the Royals, a couple weeks ago, and it's just really kind of baffling. I can't just figure, I can't figure out what exactly has gone wrong with him. Uh, even his in his last start, he only gave up one run, but he still walked four batters. Uh, he's just kind of been a mystery all season long. The off-speed pitches haven't really been that sharp. Uh, his slider, which you know was kind of advertised as his best secondary pitch all along, it really hasn't really been much of a factor, even over the last couple of years. Uh, and that changeup doesn't have the same bite that he came out with during his rookie season, leading to that Rookie of the Year award. Um, you know, I I thought that things would have been solved after having him on the shelf for over a month, giving him time to kind of rest that oblique. Um, but you know, we're still seeing kind of a lot of the same issues that he had prior to this with the the spotty command and just not the same type of bite on some of his pitches. And I don't know if it's an injury type thing, if it's still related to that elbow surgery he had last off season. Uh, it's just been kind of, kind of baffling, kind of frustrating. And you'd like to see him finish out the year strong, but it's really kind of anyone's guess as to what former you're going to get in any given date at this point. Yeah. I mean, I was wondering if maybe we could tap into your expertise for that because it was the, the nerve transposition surgery, right? That he had in the off season. Yeah, I'm not as familiar with that one. That's kind of a a newer thing, uh, just in terms of like my expertise and what yeah. I've seen before. Um, 
it's, um, you know, obviously there's a little bit more risk there with just a general surgery and having to move that nerve around. Uh, I think part of it kind of depends on what exactly he was feeling prior to that. You know, was he getting any sort of that like numbness in his fingers? Like he had Shane Green experience a few years ago. Um, or has it just been like pain in the elbow type thing? Has that been totally cleared up? Uh, is he experiencing any other symptoms kind of since the surgery? Uh, is he having any trouble gripping the ball? Uh, those are all kind of questions that, you know, not be kind of being on the outside. We don't really have access to. Uh, and so it's yeah, tough to say exactly how that would affect him. I, I thought I read or someone mentioned that, that he said he's having trouble feeling the ball. He can't throw a slider late in games because he's having trouble feeling the ball. Which yeah, didn't mm-hmm. sound good to me. That would be a problem. Uh, obviously, yeah. when you're kind of messing with a nerve like that, that can lead to some uh, just kind of interesting side effects. Um, it may be something that develops or kind of gets better over time. Um, you know, if you end up clip like cutting a nerve, uh, like especially like a small sensory nerve closer to the end of the fingers, uh, if any of that like gets damaged or whatnot, they grow back very, very slowly. Um, and so it could be something that, you know, he, it's affecting him this season, but maybe it goes away next year. Um, maybe it's something he's going to battle going forward. Maybe it's not even really related to that. And it's more kind of up in the elbow or even closer to his shoulder. Um, it's, it's tough to say exactly what, what it could be. Yeah. I don't know. It it has been a disappointing year for him. I've always been kind of worried that injuries are going to dog him throughout his career. So it'd be nice for him to, like you said, finish strong, maybe go into next year with some confidence, have a good full season. But, uh, yeah, it's tough to say. Yeah, I mean, it's... Well, you, Roger. Uh, well, for me, I, my good and bad and ugly is a little uh, you know, a little garden variety. We talked about teams in the postseason and the the good... I've been on... We've been on the Cardinals kick the last couple of weeks, but they have a, a guy who's... They called up who was a starter in Memphis, but has come up and that's the one in Dakota Houston... Hudson, excuse me. And this was a first-round draft pick a couple of years ago, uh, 34th pick overall. And the reason why I wanted to bring him up is because the Cardinals have this unique ability to bring up anybody and be effective and just plug in and play. And, you know, as much as we joke around about the Cardinal way, the Cardinal way seems to be working. Um, and Jonathan Mayo said he was thinking, he was thinking all about Jonathan Mayo as having the best season in the organization. And his ERA of 2.50 and an, a 188 uh, GOAO ratio in Memphis, and you consider what's going on in the Pacific Coast League, and you guys both know that the Pacific Coast League is a hitter-friendly league. This is a league that you're hitting, you know, you see some guys hitting 353 or 340, 350, and pitchers do not have that kind of dominance in the Pacific Coast League, comparatively speaking, to the International League. So that's pretty good. Um, but he has done pretty well. He, I mean, his walk rate's a little high, but still, this is a guy who's been starting, and he's been in the bullpen, but that's how good the Colonel's uh, rotation has been so uh i just want to give a kind of tip of the cap to the cardinals for just being able to call up somebody to be that effective in the middle of a uh, plug and play and his numbers stand out a little bit so uh dakota hudson is the guy i wanted to nominate for my good the bad for me is the seattle mariners and chris every year or the last three last since we started since you've been making my podcast partner a little over two years ago I've been talking about the Mariners, and this is going to be their year. This is going to be – I bought in the hype. I bought into Jerry's madness of trading, and, uh, well, it's sleepless in Seattle. It's cliche as it sounds, and it is. <laughs> um, there was a fight that broke out on Saturday – or I believe it was Sunday. Um, D. 
Gordon said it was a closed matter, didn't want to talk about it, and uh, the whole clubhouse was sh shut out. And uh, they're now five and a half, I think, as of going into tonight, five and a half back of the wild card. They have completely fallen apart. And this was a promising year for the Mariners. The Mariners were making some moves, and even with, you know, with the suspension of Robinson Cano, they're still getting it done. But the second half of the season, they've just completely and utterly fallen apart. Now they're just fighting. Uh, with Scott Service, the manager, so uh, who looked like a, a possible shoe-in for manager of the year, and now just they're falling apart. And it's just it's an organization that, if you look at, for whatever reason, just seems like they're snake bitten. And the ugly. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is the last season for Hawk Harrelson. Hawk Harrelson, who, by the way, the Tigers are playing the White Sox, so he has been the team's announcer you know, for LeBron, no broadcasting more. for I three, three years. Would... And he's calling it quits. And, just and uh, Sunday was Hawk Harrelson Day. People didn't come. And to hear unfortunately, their Hawk politicians. well decided to. I'm, there's going to be some be like three seconds before he talks. Okay, so Hawk Harrelson decided to go after LeBron James randomly for whatever reason, and uh, the audio you heard there was what he said about LeBron before. The end of the inning on Sunday uh, against for, with uh, excuse me, AJ Przinsky being his play-by-play -play guy, but uh, really didn't say much after that. But it was strange. It was just weird. And this was against his former team. He was a, a player for the Red Sox before, so it was kind of either way. Um, the comment, if you didn't hear the audio, was I used to watch LeBron, but no more. I wish these guys would go keep their nose out of politics and just play because people didn't come and hear their opinions on politicians. And of course. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know anything about Hawk Harrelson, but this is not the first or last time he has said anything kind of, depending on your point of view, uh, exactly smart. So um, are you guys familiar with uh, the the, his, the colorful history of Hawk Harrelson's comments? You guys want some more? Uh, not off the top of my head, but, but I know that he is a cranky old man. Yeah. Cranky old men will yell at clouds if you give yeah. him a chance. Yeah, it's just it's a uh, it's interesting when he, there was one comment that I, I remember, I totally, um, this one that I remember, uh, it was in 2014, he was watching a uh, Taiwanese pitcher, Ching Chang Lee, who was pitching for the Indians at the time, saying that Lee has a, quote, typical Asian motion with deception involved. And so, um, mm -hmm. but, you know, that, I don't know if that what? was, yeah, I don't know if that, uh, how to believe what that means or what have you. But anyways, that's something that, and that was pointed out uh, Yahoo, courtesy of Yahoo on that one. I found that uh, earlier, but yeah, maybe I'm, a, I mean, that doesn't strike me as too bad because a lot of Asian pictures tend to have like the, uh, you know, the hesitation and stuff like that. But I don't know. I guess it depends on how you say it or what, what your intent is. Yeah, exactly. So but anyways, Hawk Harrelson, I'm sorry. Good riddance. I mean, I'm, I was never a big fan of the guy anyways. Just, I, I don't yeah. know. I, I just thought he was one of the most overrated announcers ever so there we go have you have you guys heard their new play-by-play -play guy uh jason benetti he's the guy i, think that I have does, he's done he's been doing like uh, i think him and hawk have kind of been like splitting time i think he, like one of them does the home games and one of them does the road games or something like that at this point uh he's actually really good and it's kind of weird to turn into a white Sox game and like actually enjoy what they're talking about um, both just like he has, a, I think, a pretty good grasp on advanced numbers. Um, he really seems to bring out the best in Steve Stone. 
Um, I think the two of them have a really good rapport together from what I've heard so far. Um, and there were like a couple of videos going back to last year where he was like, these are like videos put out by the team, but he was basically like playing, I want to say it was like Mario Kart, or Super Smash Brothers against <laughs> some of like the White Sox prospects and yeah. like interviewing them at the same time. Um, really just kind of, an, you know, an interesting uh, way to go about some of those interviews. Um, and he's, yeah, uh, an excellent broadcaster. I mean, he's done like some other stuff too. I think I heard him on a football game last week too. So he, uh, he gets around, but no, it's just kind of odd tuning into White Sox games now and actually not wanting to stab your ears with a pencil. <laughs> I, I think he was on the StatCast podcast. as like the, the probably partial host like a week ago. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and, yeah. He, he, he didn't seem out of place at all and he knew what he was talking about and yeah, oh. it was really interesting. So yeah, it's nice to see some young blood getting the, getting the game. I'll have, to ch- I'll have to check him out because I've not had a chance, but that is pretty cool to mix up into Mario Kart and kind of uh, make you feel like you're just kind of, I don't know, one of the guys. I mean, and I'm sure the, those prospects felt more at ease talking during the interview, playing something other than Fortnite, too, which seems to be the, the going <laughs> trend. So, oh, yeah, we didn't talk about that, did we, the Will Myers incident? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, what didn't. was that? I, didn't, I only, like, saw part of this. I'm not oh. really sure exactly what happened here. So yeah, during, I, um, I'll so, be honest with you. I didn't really look into it oh. much either other than he criticized his manager while playing Fortnite. Yeah, during uh, so he was on Twitch, um, you know, which is, if you, for anybody out there, uh, Twitch is a live streaming channel that you can play video games on and chat with your friends, what have you. And um, he was talking about the manager, and it got back to the Padres, and uh, he had to make an apology for it, so... He was just venting about it wasn't really anything. I don't think it was that big of a deal, but um, yeah. But yeah, for it was just um, what it was just one of those things that I, I he probably thought that like, oh, my manager's never gonna find out. He doesn't play Fortnite, so yeah. um, it was. Uh, it's just a, a terribly millennial thing to do. Yeah, what's funny yeah. is like you know, it, uh, ironically enough, the manager is Andy Green, and for whatever reason, I think that's like some sort of MTV. Or, I don't know. I was thinking of Tom. Yeah, but anyways, Tom Green's brother. Yeah, Tom. You know, but um, but really, it's um. The exact comment was, uh, the Padres are doing cutoff and relay tom- relays tomorrow at 3 o'clock in September, dude. Um, which is, he was on a AAA affiliate's, um, uh, I think it was, I think it was, uh, it was Carlos uh, Asane's stream. So that's what it happened. So, um, yeah. and then he, Carlos had to tell him, by the way, we're streaming this. So, <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah. Oops. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. But, you know, these things happen. Yeah. So uh, what's happening right now, speaking of which, by the way, Chris, uh, let's start with the Mudhens, who celebrate a Western Division championship in their first postseason appearance since 2007. Is that or 2006? No, yeah, 2007. Yeah. And uh, this is a team that has some history in the Governor's Cup. They are uh, the, they won the Governor's Cup, I think, back-to-back years. So uh, take it away, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really kind of an unlikely run to the playoffs for the, the Mudhens. They were – they were in first for most of the year, and we talked. You know, we chronicled this week by week, and they just kind of the lead was fritting away and, and getting farther away. And then they were, I want to say, like a month ago, they might have been four and a half, five games out of first place. And then they just went on a, an amazing run. I think they won twelve of their last sixteen games, not not counting the final game when they had already clinched. And they went eight and three against the the two teams ahead of them in the uh, in the standings, Indianapolis and Columbus. And yeah, so they they made the playoffs for the first time, like you said, in, in over a decade. And they won. And they won. They won tonight. Yeah, ten to three against yeah. Durham. Awesome. And how about Daz Cameron going three for three with a walk in his uh, playoff debut? Uh, not not too shabby. Willie Castro two for four as well. 
Yeah, yeah, Willie Castro and and Kristen Stewart went over five with three strikeouts. But what are you going to do? And everybody's going to have a good game. Jake um, Jake Robson had a double. There we go. Yeah. Back to the positive side of it. No, absolutely. It's it's exciting. It's exciting for Toledo fans who've been wanting a playoff team forever. Wanting and it's exciting for Tigers fans all all year long. We've talked about how the minor leagues are probably going to be more exciting than the majors, and, and now we've got two teams in the playoffs. But uh, yeah, in that run up to the uh, to make the playoffs, it was really you know kind of tense. They had a uh, Spencer Turnbull had two outstanding starts last week in his first two starts in uh, in AAA. The one he struck out what like eleven of the first thirteen batters, and then his second start was uh, what six seven innings, one hit, one walk, and eight strikeouts. Just outstanding. Uh, couldn't couldn't have come at a better time for them. And then they had they had one game where they were down two to one, and then Stewart and Chad Huffman hit back to back home runs in the eighth to win. And then the next day, Dixon Machado of all people hit the lone home run of the game, and they won one nothing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean it's a really exciting final week. And Stewart has really been playing well. Apart from tonight, he's been playing really well down the last couple of weeks. So that's another thing for Tigers fans to maybe get excited about. But uh, yeah, off to a good start. Best of five series against Durham, and they're up one nothing. So that's good. I mean, I think it's good. I think it's good experience for those guys. Uh, you know, you have a few guys down there that would be uh, that would probably be up in Detroit right now mm-hmm. had they not made the playoffs. Um, but I think it's you know, if anything, maybe a little bit more valuable for them to play that postseason series. And you know, you're not in you know the majors. You're not among the tall buildings, as uh, as Jim Price would say. Um, but you're you know, they're still playing in higher pressure situations. Um, you know, in more meaningful games, I think, than what they would be up in Detroit where, you know, guys are almost kind of going through the motions at this point. Um, you know, having kind of just that whole team aspect with guys that they may or may not be playing with going forward. Uh, I know a lot of our prospects are down in double A right now, but you still got Castro, you got Cameron, you got Stewart up there. Um, and I think it's good experience for them. No, you're absolutely right, Rob. I think the teams, teams will often do that. They will keep players at a level to get them that experience of those games that really mean something, even if they don't really mean something, they still mean something to the players and, and it's, you know, it's exciting and stuff you can't sim- simulate any other way. So, yeah, it was, it was one of these things that I was kind of talking about, I think a couple years ago when Joe Jimenez was down in West Michigan for, pr- I think pretty much the whole season, yeah. um, you know, and some people were saying, like, Oh, let's, you know, let's call him up. But, uh, the Whitecaps, I think that was the year they won the Midwest League, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of arguing at the time that, you know, it's almost better for him to be in these high-pressure situations in the, in the postseason uh, rather than going up to Lakeland where they were like 50 games below 500 or whatever it was that year. Um, just to have that experience with, with that team to, you know, have those, you know, playoff situations, I think, especially for a reliever, I think that's uh, a lot more important than going into a game where, you know, you're down by seven runs or whatever it was at Lakeland would have been at that point that year. Yeah, no, it, it's, yeah, really, I do think uh, as fans, we like to like, yeah, keep these, move these guys up. But, you know, like you said, it's, there's, there's more to it than the experience. It's, uh, there's not much more depressing than a, a locker room at the end of a season of a team that's going nowhere and knows it. They're all just waiting to, to go fishing and golfing. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's also good for the city of Toledo too. I mean, the, yeah. they have a really good fan base, and you know, the last couple of years they were the ownership was kind of complaining, "Hey, we want a winner here with this new stadium," and so that was something that was emphasized. And so I think for the Tigers to build that organization and and, and for Doug Mankiewicz, also kind of like a sort of redemption in a way too, because the way he was let go by the Twins um, kind mm-hmm. of adds to his resume a little bit. 
So, you know, ironically enough, he beats the team that he, you know, managed in, in Rochester. Excuse me, he was, he was, he was Rochester, right? Before he was, he, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh-huh. yeah. So there we go. I mean, it's a little, it's a little redemption, but for the city of Toledo, honestly, they're 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 such a, it's such a good time every time I go down there too, Chris. We were, we we, had, we went down there earlier this season. That was uh, we had some really good seats and the to be that yeah, close. Yeah, it's, you know? it's a great experience. Yeah. Although the one game we went to, they I don't know if they were doing like. A no promo Friday or something yeah. like that, but there was nothing going on. It was yeah. weird. And just watching. Normally, Chris... you're used to seeing like you know eight different races and fifty fifty raffles and you know pie throwing contests. And yeah, they, they did have a their scoreboard game that was on point. They had some really cool yeah. random promo, like just random stuff on the scoreboard that cracked me up. And then we watched Christmas Stewart made one of the most interesting throws I've seen probably <laughs> in, a, in a long time. It, it, Rob, I'm telling you, it was like literally like a little league hopper from left field to third base. It was. Yeah, is it as I bad as that one that, that you know the the gif of uh, Delman Young making the throw? I think it was during the World Series. Are we yeah. talking like that bad? Yeah. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. That was like uh, that was like uh, every now and then you'll get those where the outfielder like just holds onto the ball too too long and spikes it into the ground. I'm sure Rayburn Rayburn did that once or twice too. This was yeah. just it was just him trying to throw a guy out at home and it just had nothing on it. And I don't know if he didn't get all of it or it, that's just his arm. But I, I know I just felt like, I, from my, in my opinion, at least it just seemed like it was like. Bit of a dud, but uh, with the Seawolves yeah. ending the season, Chris, uh, what are some of the highlights we could talk about with the Seawolves with now Matt Manning and Bo Burrows with the Tigers in Chicago? Unfortunately, under the tutelage, of <laughs> unfortunately, <one. laughs> well, yeah. I, you know, like well, everybody, everybody's scared of the the what Rick Anderson's going to do. So, but uh, I can I digress. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, we've talked a bunch about how Erie has the most exciting prospects, and yet they, uh, you know. They had the worst record, I think, of the major of the full season affiliates. But yeah, their final week. I mean, Manning had that outstanding debut, but the the final starts from their three big prospects, uh, Manning, Fado, and Burroughs, were all kind of uh, ho hum, kind of poor starts. But we always talk about like sometimes that's better. You know, go go into the off season a little bit angry because your last start wasn't great, uh, and work on figure out what you need to work on. But you know, I think it was it was. You can't say it's anything but a success for Manning this year, given that, uh, you know, moving up two levels and the improved stuff and command. I mean, he's still got a way to go, but definitely a big year. Burroughs is kind of holding steady. This was kind of a bit of an up and down season. And Fado had uh, a really rough patch there and then came back with his best start of the year. And uh, he's, he's a guy who's going to have to watch closely next year because there there's some red flags there. But. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'm sure it was a fun year for Erie fans if they like prospects. Um, and Isaac Paredes, you know, I still don't think he's getting enough publicity nationally uh, for a 19-year-old who I think he hit 310, maybe 325, something. He hit yeah. over 300. In seems a like not he had a, inse- yeah. Seems ahead. like he had a monster second half. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, yeah, it was like he had a really rough May that that hurt his average down in Lakeland. And then he went on that power bench and he came up to Erie and he just kept hitting and getting on base. And I, I was looking at in my weekly recap, I, he, he had an eight seventy five OPS in double a, uh, and there are only two 19 year olds in double a or higher who, who did that this year. And it was Vlad Guerrero jr. And Juan Soto in the majors. Um, so it's like, yeah, I mean, he's really young, seems really polished. Uh, he's playing on the dirt. We don't know exactly where, probably not shortstop, but still on the dirt. That doesn't seem to be in a doubt. So it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, he's a top 100 prospect to me. And 
there probably isn't superstar potential there. Maybe that's why people don't, you know, pump him up as much. But he sure seems like a like a surefire two to three win player every year based on just his, his hitting ability. Who knows? Maybe his defense will be so poor that uh, you know they won't work out. But uh, yeah, I think he finished his final week was uh, eleven for thirty with six walks to just two strikeouts. It's like that's you know they're pitching around him or he's just really patient and it's impressive and, and yeah I don't know fans should be excited about him I think. I think one other thing you can kind of take, uh, just be encouraged by down there, is just the number of guys that finished the season healthy and performing mm-hmm. fairly well. Uh, obviously, you mentioned that a few pitchers had kind of duds uh, for their last starts, um, but you have three of your top prospects in the organization, uh, four if you even kind of include Casey Mize, although he was down in Lakeland, who are finishing the season healthy. Uh, pitchers break all the time. Uh, obviously, Franklin Perez lost most of the season due to injury, but you know everyone else just finishing strong, finishing healthy. Uh, uh, especially with like the position guys too. Uh, Jake Rogers is another one who yeah. really had kind of a big second half. I think his numbers after like June first are you know pretty awesome. Um, uh, just to see all those guys performing well, uh, heading down towards the end of the year, I think it's going to be a really fun year for Erie next year. Uh, you could have upwards of like four of the top five pitching prospects in the organization up there. Uh, I would kind of like to see them push Mize to, to Erie to start the year, kind of like Atlanta did with Kyle Wright this year. Um, yeah. But we'll see what happens with that. That's a conversation for obviously later this offseason. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to see them uh, pick up a few more wins along the way, but sometimes that doesn't always happen uh, in the minor leagues, especially when you have more prospects on the team than org filler. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Perez there, and we had request to ask you about uh, you know the Perez's injuries. I think it was a lat issue first, and then that uh, it came back, if not quite right, and that was a shoulder. I don't know if you can lend any expertise to to those injuries or what uh, what they mean or what uh, might have caused them. Yeah, so the lat and shoulder are really going to be kind of closely related. Uh, that lat muscle, it mostly sits in your back, but it actually kind of reaches up and actually attaches at the front of the shoulder. And it's one of the primary muscles responsible for kind of pulling the arm through whenever a pitcher is following through. Um, and you know, just kind of based on what I've seen in the past, I would almost guess that, that his issue is more with shoulder mobility rather than the actual lat itself or any sort of muscle issue. Um, because when you're following through like that, uh, if there's any tightness in that shoulder, the, the arm is basically going to stop short. And so sometimes I can put pressure on the lat. Sometimes I can put pressure on the shoulder joint or some of the smaller muscles within the shoulder. Um, and I think that they need to kind of get him working on some of that uh, with, you know, the training staff and whatnot down down in Lakeland. Uh, obviously, they're going to know everything in terms of, like, shoulder exercises and whatnot to continue strengthening there. And he's probably been doing that along the way, both uh, in Detroit as well as in his prior stop with Houston. Um, but I think improving shoulder mobility for, you know, for him as well as for a lot of the other guys in the organization could potentially help ward off any future injury there. Um, usually you don't really see lat injuries like that repeat themselves. Um, and so especially if it really is kind of a true strain, sometimes it's, you know, one of those things that happens, they're really finicky. So they take a long time to go away. Um, and if he was compensating in any way with his mechanics, maybe that led to the shoulder pain, um, later in the year. Uh, shutting him down, you, you don't always like to see that. But at the same time, I think they're just kind of being cautious with one of their arms. Uh, he's obviously, you know, very polished for his age. 
and so while it's not great to see him kind of lose a year of development, um, you say, see that a lot of times with guys who have had Tommy John surgery, obviously a much more involved injury, uh, and they tend to bounce back pretty well too. So I think that you know we should really kind of expect all systems go from him next year. Maybe they'll have him on sort of some sort of innings limit since he uh, didn't rack up too many innings this year. Um, but other than that, as long as he's healthy to start the year, um, things should be okay. Uh, obviously, if he does run into any of these issues next year, then there's uh, a bigger concern there. But uh, I don't think he's had any sort of injuries in the past. I uh, could be wrong on that, but um, yeah, I'm as far as he goes, I'm I'm not too worried about his health moving forward. Well, Rob, in terms of recovering from that, what is it? Strength training? What kind of recovery process is with an injury like that? It really kind of depends on what exactly it is. Um, the shoulder issue in particular is really kind of vague in terms of what they've given us and in what's bugging them there. Um, and so a lot of times with some of those shoulders issues, it's really just kind of calming down the inflammation in the shoulder joint. Um, you know, with someone who's not throwing a ball 90 plus miles an hour for a living, you can really kind of expect that pain to go away. Uh, fairly quickly with just some conservative treatment, maybe just a few weeks or so. Um, obviously, in his case, that's a few weeks of rest, coupled with some strengthening, uh, some exercises, and then starting to throw again and build his arm back up. And so for a pitcher, it can be you know, a process of two, three months or so, depending on how long and how uh, flared up things are at the start. Um, and so that's probably why they shut him down kind of for the, for the whole year there, especially not wanting to have him build back up in like a fall league or a winter league or something like that. Um, but in terms of outlook for, you know, this off season, assuming everything's fine now, uh, there's no reason why he shouldn't be ready for, you know, getting ready for spring training next season. That's very, very thorough and yeah, thank you, informative. I like that. That's, yeah. that's good stuff. Nice to have a resource. It's like the um, the one perk that this uh, this job gives me. <laughs> well, you get to touch athletes. Yeah, I suppose. That's if you're not, into exactly that sort of the, thing. not exactly the best endorsement of my job, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I get to touch athletes mostly. I get to I get to touch people. Yeah, <laughs> touch my an angel. Um, well, yeah, no, that's good. It's good stuff. Um, certainly, far more. I'm just like, yeah, shoulders aren't good. That's my medical expertise. No, they're definitely not. But in terms of something like that, um, I, I think that's is is non-concerning, unconcerning. I, I'm not really sure. Mm. English is hard, um, but it's <laughs> it's not as concerning as your typical shoulder injury would be, um, yeah. especially with it potentially being related to that lat, which is more just kind of a muscular issue. Um, and as long as they address it in the off season, which I'm sure they will, uh, things should be. Should be fine. Yeah. Elbow, yeah. Elbows are worse. Let's not go there. No. No. Yeah. The, the Tigers have, have seemed to do, do pretty well, at least with starting pitchers, to avoiding elbow injuries. Uh, uh, the relievers, yeah, not so not, much. But, they're not, uh, yeah, they're not the Mets, at least. Thank, thankfully. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and we can move down to Lakeland, unless there's something else. Is there anything else that you really missed? John Schreiber had like 18 saves. Um, He's going to the Fall League. Yep, he's going to the fall league. Yeah, that's something we tried to predict the fall league last week. And uh, who's going? Daz, Rogers. Uh, yeah, you you kind of nailed the position players. The pitchers are always tough to predict, but yeah, uh, who? Uh, Danny Panero is going. Sandy Sandy Baez is one that I saw. Yeah, Baez and Eduardo Jimenez because they're both on the forty man. So yeah, we did. I think we did, we did call. Uh, I know we called 
Jimenez. I, I believe it was something we were. I, we both well, I, I think I basically said like thirty guys. I'm like here's here's the ones I think, and here's thirty more guys <laughs> just in case. Um, and I announced it the day after we did the podcast. Too, that's what I remember. Yeah, uh, I think yeah, I think they sent Danny Woodgrow too, right? Yeah, Wood, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is one of those things where he, I think he missed like 30 games this year. So, um, yeah. My question uh, is, are, are they going to still like send Baez even because he's up in the major leagues right now? Um, are they going to send him after the season's over, or do they plan on using him a little bit more in the majors? I mean, he threw what two innings last night or yeah. the other day or something like that. Uh, I'd almost rather see him just get more time in the majors, especially if he continues pitching well. For whatever reason, uh, he's done a lot better in the majors than in the minors small sample size of course but if he keeps pitching well in the majors just let him kind of get his innings up there and don't worry about sending him to arizona is he also is he's going to pretty much be relieved or used as a reliever from here on out correct or i'm mean, not really but um are we going to see him just to get some more work start a few games in the arizona fall league at all or anything or just kind of situational you think i i, I think that he'll probably Work in an inning. He'll be a, a reliever who does an inning or two in the the fall league. If uh, I mean, I guess it, it's a matter of his innings, how they want to manage the innings. I mean, he was a starter last year, so I, I haven't. Uh, I'm not looking at his innings count here, but uh, yeah, because when does the, the fall league starts in? I think it's like late October, September. Uh, I don't oh, know. I thought, it, I thought it started later than that, but uh, maybe yeah, it is. I I have no idea. It's um. It goes it, until like mid November, yeah. I think. But um, no, in terms of uh, bias too, um, or not bias, but just the fall league in general. Do do pitchers really like starters? Do they throw that many innings, or are these kind of like more like your three, four inning stints, and then the other guys take over? Yeah, it's almost always uh, three innings. I think tops because you know you've got six teams trying to get their pitchers out there. It might be different in like playoffs. But usually the starters will go like three innings, and then they'll bring in uh, a couple of relievers, and maybe one guy goes three innings again. Um, as the Arizona Fall League is never really great for pitchers. Uh, I mean, you might see some some nice arms, and this year they're you know Forrest Whitley's there because he missed most of the year, so it's good sometimes when guys miss parts of the season. Yeah, it's almost always the guys who have been injured or missed time, yeah, or whatever hitters you can kind of send up there because they can play all day. Uh, yep. but the pitchers definitely have uh, have limits. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, the Tigers aren't going to send Matt Manning out there or whatever just to get another ten innings or something like that. It, it's, uh, but and it's it's fun to watch. Last year, I think Acuna played in the Fall League last year, and now he's got 24 home runs in the majors. Uh, so sometimes these guys move pretty quickly, and, and Vlad's going to be there, so that'll be exciting. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Tigers. Other than Daz and Rogers, I don't know if there's a, a ton to get super excited about, but still. It's baseball when other baseball isn't on, and that's always good. Uh, let's see, we moved to Lakeland. Yes, that's correct. Lakeland also, they Lakeland actually ended their season above 500. It was it was a solid year? Uh, they just couldn't quite get over the hump there for the playoffs, and they there was rainouts. I think the first four days of the week last week, it like it, and they were playing double headers on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. All rained out. Yeah, did they, so, like, play a game since, like, mid-August? It doesn't seem like, yeah, it seems like just a terrible time to be in Florida for baseball, especially. Um, but they did finish up, I think they've played three games, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and lost two of them, but won the final one, 2 nothing. Anthony Castro had another nice, long start. He, he had a he had a good, strong year. I think, uh, I think he'll be added to the 40-man. 
Was he going to be Rule 5 eligible? I think he was this year, and they didn't add him because mm-hmm. he was still in, in you know, Single. low A or, yeah. Um, but, uh, and uh, Cody Clemens had a, a nice end to the season, and same with Brock Dethridge. Brock Dethridge is one of, you know, had one of the better statistical seasons of any 2018 draft pick in terms of like doubles, triples, homers, steals, all that stuff. We won't really know much about him until he gets to the higher levels, but, you know, as they say, it's better to do well than do poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we mentioned Eduardo Jimenez. I think he, he got the save in that final game. His 15th of the year. He's going to the fall league. He's, he's an interesting guy because you you see stuff that James Chipman posts and, and talk about. I mean, he's up in the high 90s with a plus breaking ball. And you're like, wow, sounds like a future closer. And he's working as a closer. But then his numbers are kind of not great. Like a 3-4 ERA in the Florida State League with a 1.6 whip and 300 <laughs> batting average against. I don't know. I mean, maybe he's suffering from poor defenses and stuff. But, and that's a pitcher-friendly league, too. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, the good context there because, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, I assume he will go to Erie next year, and uh, maybe we'll get the chance to see him in the fall league too. But there just wasn't much uh, in terms of prospects down there at Lakeland at, yeah, by the end all, of the year. They all moved up to Erie. That's yeah. You know, once uh, Paredes kind of moved up, I kind of checked out a little bit on uh, Lakeland. I uh, was obviously following Chip and along quite a bit when mm-hmm. both Daz and, and Isaac were down there. But, yeah, after that, I mean, other than the, you know, a couple of starts that Casey Mize made, yeah, they just didn't have much in the way of prospects uh, at the end of the year. And so it's just kind of tough to stay interested in them when you got so many other guys, guys that we can actually follow. It's nice to have prospects in the system to keep an eye on now. Yeah, and it doesn't help for, for people who I finally went and bought MILB TV or whatever this year. And the coverage of the Florida State League is just awful. There is none. It's basically Bradenton, and I don't know why that is. But which it's, is it's which nice is weird be, because yeah. you have all these stadiums that are set up for yeah. spring training feeds and all the cameras and whatnot. You'd think that they would have the best coverage of all the leagues, but the, for whatever yeah. reason, you can't get any of their games on TV. I, 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 I find it ironic. I find it ironic that one of the most cheapest organizations out there, in the Pirates, has yeah. TV down there, and that's that. I, I just it blows my mind because Lakeland's owned by the Tigers. You would think. Something would be set up, especially takes town. It's it's Tiger South. It would have you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah, and and even beyond that, like the Lakeland Flying Tigers Twitter feed is the worst of all the minor league. Like they they barely do anything. It's just like score updates. They don't talk about promotions or anything. It's just yeah, it's it's weird. I don't know if it's like a hide your trade secrets situation They're, or I don't know. They're definitely the ones that interact with us the least. Especially yeah. on Twitter too. Uh, you know, West Michigan's always very active. Erie's pretty active too. Toledo somewhat, um, but yeah, we didn't get anything out of Lakeland. We got more out of Connecticut than we did out of Lakeland. Yeah, Connecticut too. Yeah, it's it's very odd. I don't know who we would talk to about that about fixing this. <laughs> but uh, you can't have a twenty-one-year-old we... uh, intern running it. You know, it's not that's not always the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you mentioned West Michigan. We can move on to them because that's another. Uh, another playoff team, another team that, that uh, last I checked, they were up three nothing mm-hmm. against. Still, uh, up, still up three nothing. Guys on second and third. There was a balk, um, oh. but Anthony Pereira just struck out. Oh bummer! So, yeah, there were uh, the Great Lakes pitcher is the guy that Roger and I saw a couple weeks ago, Gerardo Carrillo, uh, who looked pretty good in the game we went to. But uh, yeah, nice to see. It looks like the uh, they scored early when the pitcher threw the ball away, trying to pick off when Winslow Perez at first. So. Yeah, but I mean, talk about an exciting finish to the season for for West Michigan. They, despite a I think thirty three and thirty six record in the second half, 
they managed to squeak into the playoffs, and it came down to those final three games against Fort Wayne. The tide heading into that, Fort Wayne won the first game, I think, pretty easily. It was like ten to two or something. And the second game, I don't remember how West Michigan took the lead, but it was pretty late. And then Fort Wayne loaded the bases with two outs in the ninth. You know, and that's if they score there and win, that's it. The season's over. But they were able to to close that out. And then the next night. Uh, I think it was 2-2 heading into the – they went to extra innings, and Fort Wayne scored, and then West Michigan loaded the bases and had that wild, wild play that I hope people saw if they didn't. Colby Bortles hit kind of a floating liner that the pitcher jumped up, and it glanced off his glove and, like, ricocheted over the second baseman and glanced off his glove too. And it was – you're talking about inches away from a game-ending triple play probably, and instead it scored the tying run. Uh-huh. And then the final run came in on an Anthony Pereira sack fly where the outfielder made this great diving catch. It was just a super exciting finish to a game. Yeah, that, that was a, that was a, especially that throw from the outfield too was, wasn't too far off the line either. Um, it was just, a, you know, I think him diving catch cost him that throw, but still it was pretty yeah. sweet. Yeah, it was, I mean, I think Brady Policy scored, um, and the team itself, like like kind of like Lakeland, there's not a ton of super interesting prospects there. That definitely got more interesting when Perez, Winslow Perez, showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's just I think it's the fifth straight year that West Michigan's made the playoffs. Now it's a little bit easier to make the playoffs in in the Midwest League. I think eight teams make it, eight of the sixteen teams, something like mm-hmm. that. But still, that's pretty damn good. With they've had three different managers and they've all made the playoffs. And once you get in, you know anything can happen. And like you said, they're up three nothing right now. Yeah, bases loaded, one out. So, nice. Still doing yeah, well. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, I think that part of the part of the reason why we've kind of fallen off West Michigan a little bit this year. Obviously, guys have moved up and whatnot, but you had a couple guys start out the season hot. Uh, Ronaldo Rivera was one of them. Um, you know, Anthony Pereira was kind of hot to start the year too, but those guys kind of tailed off a little bit. Seems like uh, Rivera, I think, had an OPS under 700 for the year, which is pretty bad for a first baseman. Um, Pereira's, I think, was even worse than that. Uh, obviously, his ceiling's a little bit lower. The offensive uh, barometer, I guess I should say, is a little bit lower as a middle infielder. But you know, just kind of had guys falling off a little bit. Um, you know, some of the other guys, uh, Clemens kind of blew through there in Deathridge for like a hot second, but moved up quickly. Uh, and you get some of the other guys, kind of the lower round picks from uh, this year, like Eric De La Rosa and some of those other guys. But um, still, just not a lot there to uh, really kind of follow along with. Um, the pitchers, I think, too, have also kind of fallen off a little bit, uh, a bit as well. Brad Bass has turned in a pretty good start tonight: six strikeouts and six scoreless innings. But um, yeah. I'm blanking on, I'm blanking on who we're talking about. That oh, uh, Elvin Rodriguez seemed like he kind of struggled a little bit in the second half. Yeah, he's he's an interesting pitcher because he was uh, kind of the most consistent pitcher all year. I think he's only twenty. Um, but he's not somebody who's going to blow you away with his stuff. He just seems to know how to pitch. And uh, he got injured. And they came back and pitched okay. But he had a couple of rough starts. There was, I remember one series. It was they were playing the best offense in the Midwest League, and uh, they just got bombed. I think he gave up like eight runs in two innings. But yeah, they they had a lot of pitchers there this year who just kind of disappeared. It was a Garrett King. Garrett mm-hmm. Garrett. Garrett King, I think, was a 10th or 11th rounder last year. Maybe it's Garrett Hill. There's too many Garretts these days. Mrs. Garrett, she just died. <laughs> um, 
but uh, yeah, I, I assume he's hurt. And, and when we were there, they said Dane Myers had been shut down for the season just, uh, I think, because his innings limit. So you're, you're working with Alvin Rodriguez and Wilco Hernandez is a guy I talk about a lot. Chance um, Kirby. Chance Kirby was, yeah, he had just come up. And Brad, Brad Bass, who was not sexy at all. And I mean, this is a player. Maybe he's a very sexy human. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, he just keeps going out there and pitching seven innings and like getting one strikeout and somehow not giving up a ton of runs. And then Jesus Rodriguez is uh, out there eating innings too. It's yeah, it's it's there's some guys down there who don't have real pro futures. I don't think, or at least MLB futures. But yeah, it's kind of been a deviation from recent years where you had like. In years past, you had a few guys in the rotation. Um, you know, whether it's like Buck Farmer several years ago, uh, he for whatever reason was the only one that came to mind. Um, but you know, just some of those years where you had like three or four really good starters, maybe not guys who were going to blow things away at the major league level, but guys who you know kept interest alive in in the Whitecaps, and you're you know with them kind of in their full first taste a full season ball you're hoping that maybe they do develop something and turn into a solid back-end starter or whatnot really doesn't seem like they have that this year uh and it looks like christopher proctor whoever the heck that is uh just uh double bases clearing double six nothing wow yeah he was he was the catcher they got uh they drafted this year out of duke and when we uh we were just there he was hitting 120 on the year in like 30 games he He looks very skinny yeah but very Good cannon arm from behind the plate. He did a really good job. Yeah, he threw out two or three runners in that game. But yeah, it's it, uh, so that's uh, that's one of those fun things about the playoffs, man. You guy had a, a really rough season there at West Michigan, and here he has this giant hit. And you mentioned Anthony Pereira; he had a rough time at West Michigan, and he ended up getting the, the game-winning sack fly. So yeah, looks like Proctor hit. Cool. Looks like Proctor hit one eleven for the uh, for the season <laughs> yeah. in West Michigan. Good, good God, but. <laughs> Yeah, they they played him, and there you go. Good, good for him. So uh, it might end up being the, the highlight of his pro career, and I'm glad we could talk about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. We could we could touch on Connecticut a little bit. They really fell off at the end of the year. I, I they had the worst offense in the New York Penn League by far. They were last in like every single category but triples. Um, and by the end of the year, a lot of their good players had moved up too. Although they did get some interesting guys at the very end, guys from like the championship Gulf Coast League team, like King- Kingston Leniak went there and hit his first pro home run, which is cool for him. And uh, you know they had a couple draft pitching draft picks, Adam Wolf and Casey Murphy, but you know they just they did you know they couldn't do anything on offense. They were getting two hits a night and losing eight nothing every game. So. Yeah, some of the pitchers down there were pretty interesting. Uh, Tarek Skubal oh. is one that we've kind of been keeping an eye on. Uh, he had some really good numbers in a few innings uh, for them. Yeah, um, Carlos Guzman is one that's kind of blew up. I think that one of the baseball prospectus guys kind of hit on him uh, midway through the year, uh, and people yeah. have been following him along. Uh, Yaya Chentouf is one that I, I like just because that is a ridiculous name. Yes, um, and then uh, Gio Arriera, the Tigers, I think he was a fourth-round pick. Last year, he was the one that I was kind of following along. He had a you know an okay season. Um, it's a guy who you know hopefully he takes a step forward um, in in especially next year when he's probably going to be in full season ball. Um, but really, it's kind of all on the pitching side down there. Yeah, there it was. Uh, you know, they brought up some of their younger, not younger, some of the older college guys they drafted this year. But uh, yeah, not 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 the uh, bellwether year for. 
Connecticut, but can't win them all. Getting three teams to the playoffs and winning one championship is pretty good. Uh, so the Tigers will probably feel pretty good about that, although it doesn't necessarily mean anything going forward. It, it's it's nice for fans who don't want to look at the Tigers and watch some minor league baseball. Some of it, at least. Yeah. yeah. Well, these games, yeah, these games are on MILB TV, and apparently the Toledo game was available in HD, which is nice. Wow, that's a that's a uh, an improvement, yeah, a luxury. But uh, that's all I got for the minors. I don't know if uh, you guys had anything more you wanted to touch on. Uh, the only I wanted, we had a couple of Twitter questions. We had a question, oh. the, the DFA question from a big fan of the podcast. We actually followed us on Instagram, which was strange. Um, Ed Miller at Ed Miller nineteen. Uh, well, only only why it's strange is because we just got the Instagram account not even a, like mm-hmm. a month ago, and we're getting some. I just Ed Miller doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's on Instagram, but um, oh, fair enough. But hey, you know, whatever, it's cool. No offense and, to you, Ed Miller. You're yeah, probably a great person. I yeah, Ed Miller, Ed Miller's a fantastic dude. Um, but just it surprised me when I saw him. Well, he liked us on Instagram. I, I digress. Mm. We appreciate it. So um, mm. he wants to know next year's starting players by position in DFAs. So this, I, you know, um, have you guys we, Yeah, we, we, we went over this a couple of weeks ago. But, uh, I mean, Rob could certainly chime in if he wants to. Um, I didn't hear everyone that you guys had mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Um, no, yeah, no. But I... Um, no, I think next year is going to be fairly similar, especially to start the year. Um, I think that any thoughts or hopes of James McCann getting designated for assignment or non-tendered or something like that are premature. I mean, maybe they do non-tender him, but bring him back at a cheaper rate. Um, I think that he's going to be around for at least one more year while they kind of, you know, groom Jake Rogers to be that catcher and waiting, um, going around the diamond. I think that, uh, the infield is going to be pretty similar. Maybe you see Dabo Lugo come up and play a little bit more at second base. Uh, the Tigers seem not too worried about, uh, whatever, um, you know, just his poor stat line in Toledo this year, uh, even though he hit for a high average, um, didn't really do much beyond that. Uh, and is kind of having a nice little audition in the majors so far. I'm not sure what he's doing tonight, but he had an OPS in the 800s in his handful of at-bats so far. Um, shortstop is going to be kind of the interesting one. Uh, I yeah. think that they may look to get Jose Iglesias back on some sort of, uh, you know, kind of short-term extension. Uh, seemed like Dixon Machado was kind of the guy that they were hoping to groom for that spot, but he really kind of fell off this year. Um, and I don't know how comfortable they feel with someone like Ronnie Rodriguez taking that spot. I really hope they don't feel comfortable with that because that would just be for awful watching next year. Yeah. Um, and then other than that, I think everything else is going to be kind of as predicted. You get kind of a glutton guys like Jacoby Jones and whatnot in center field. Um, left field is probably going to be Kristen Stewart and maybe a couple other guys mixing in. Uh, right field, obviously, Nick Castellanos. Third base uh, is Candelario. Um, and then the rotation is going to be what I think largely the same. It'll be interesting to see what they do with kind of that fifth starter spot. I imagine them bringing in some sort of free agent. Um, and uh, I'm interested to see kind of what they do for like the Rule 5 draft. A uh, guy like Matt Hall is going to be um, <clears throat> Rule 5 eligible, and he's kind of one of those that's on the bubble. Um, some of the other ones are a little bit more obvious. Derek Hill will probably be protected. Uh, the Tigers have been... Uh, rather aggressive in protecting guys in the past, and you got to imagine that they're going to want to keep their uh, what was it 2014 first round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to want to you're going to imagine that they're going to want to keep him around. Um, Stewart is obviously one that's going to be protected. He will probably be called up once Toledo season is over. Um, 
and uh, there are you know, one or two other guys that I'm probably blanking on right now, too. Um, and so from that standpoint, I don't think you're going to see too much creativity from them uh, otherwise because they need a lot of those spots for guys who are going to be Rule 5 eligible. Maybe you see a couple of relievers DFA'd, something boring mm-hmm. like that, but nothing earth-shattering, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think I mean I think Lewis Coleman will probably go, uh, and of course like V Mart and Liriano will be gone. Maybe Johnny Barbado, but uh, yeah, I don't maybe know. maybe he could be one. Yeah, and I, I I think the way I've tended to look at it is is I think you said it right that this next year is going to be a, a lot like this year at least for the first half of the year or so. I think we might start see to start to see that wave of guys come up in the second half next year if they want to they might just try to stick it out all year again with some veterans and stuff but uh yeah i i don't know there's nobody it'll be interesting to see what they do with ronnie rodriguez and uh i think i think goodrum has earned a spot to stay on the, the roster yeah he's kind of an interesting bench bat he's the kind of guy that you'd like to see in in a role like that Moving forward, he can play a lot of positions, maybe not many of them well, um, but he has a little bit of power off the bench. He, he takes walks. The average isn't so great, um, but he was producing at, above, at an above-average level for a good part of the year, um, yeah. and so I, I wouldn't mind seeing him. It's a lot better than the you know like two utility infielders they had during a lot of kind of their heyday uh, yeah, I mean, from 2011 to 2014, the Hernan Perez, Josh Wilson, those kind yeah. of years. Yeah, he's he's a little reminiscent of, of Don Kelly, if you will. You know, a guy who can play all over the diamond and not be a complete, uh, you know, loss with the bat. I think Kelly was probably a better defender overall. Yeah, but he never had the power that that Goodrum has. So not unless he was facing Justin Masterson. Oh, <laughs> I forgot about that. Justin Masterson. There's a guy who had one good, like, really good year. Well, and it seems like it seems like Goodrum too is. Um... A, you know, just a good guy to have in the clubhouse. He's done yeah. a lot, like uh, in the community as well. I think he was doing stuff with Flint and uh, kind of the water crisis there and whatnot. So, um, you know, there's always, uh, you know, if they can play too, it's always kind of a nice little added bonus to have a guy who is, uh, you know, a good fit both on and off the field. Yeah, he was doing some stuff with the city of Detroit too, with some of the uh, school children. I think in the summertime, he was doing some a summer program as well. So he's been. Fantastic for the community, and and we had we had the twins daily. Was it Seth? I think it was Seth. Uh, Seth Beer. Seth Stowe's. Seth Stowe's. Yeah, I was thinking of Beer. I think of Stowe's, and um, yeah. said that the Tigers was gonna were gonna get a good bargain out of him, and he stand corrected. And so, um, close to twenty home runs. I mean, it would be nice, but I mean, right now I think he's sitting at fifteen. But still, it is kind of it, it, it's kind of a departure, especially. I mean, even we, we look at the infield right now with Nico. Um, even with uh, Rodriguez, excuse me, with uh, Rodriguez, do you guys see him having a role for this team at all next year? I mean, do you see Ryan Rodriguez being kind of a a regular guy, or just because I'm I'm because we've seen some at bats where it's like okay, some of the stuff is working, but out on the field, I don't know. He just yeah, I don't picture him as being regular. I think if they can keep him on the forty man, they might want to keep him as as a guy, you know, emergency call up. Uh, keep him in Toledo, but uh, maybe they'll. I don't know. There, there's going to be a bit of roster roster crunch, depending on what they do in the outfield. I think the outfield could get really interesting because they still have 
Jacoby Jones and Mikey Matuk and Castellanos we mentioned and Stewart will probably be coming up and then Victor Reyes and Mike Gerber is still around and if yeah. they want to add Hill and maybe Cam Gibson I don't think they should add Cam Gibson but he's a Gibson uh, and if they ever want to call up Robson or Cameron like there's a lot of bodies there in the outfield so it'll be interesting yeah. to see how that plays out mm-hmm. yeah I mean they'll be able to send Reyes down next year but I think the bigger crunch of the year is more what they do with the 40 man roster spot um, and so we'll we'll see what happens with that. Uh, you could see Matuk as some sort of DFA candidate in the offseason, although he's having a monster second half. Uh, he yeah. homered again tonight. Uh, already had a WRC plus in like the 150s or something. Small sample of at-bats, but still, he's been hitting well since his most recent call-up. Um, yeah, I like I said before, I really hope that Rodriguez isn't to uh you know a big part of their plans next year just because i think that would make for a very bad and bad to watch baseball team um he's a guy that has a little bit of value as kind of that you know third shortstop fourth middle infielder type guy who can sit in the minors and be called up for a few games and not make a total mess of things um but definitely not a guy you want starting an opening day yeah and by the way um i took his seven home runs in his last 57 at bats he is some kind of streak hitter, man. Yeah. And so he did that in his first year with um, the Rays, something like that. I saw a stat line, too. Against the White of his 31 career home runs, he has eight against the White Sox. <laughs> so uh, he loves he loves. So that. you just got to like brainwash him and convince him that they're playing the White Sox yeah. every day. That's what I was trying to tell mm-hmm. myself when Victor Reyes uh, last week against the Yankees, just tell him, like, hey, we're in Yankee Stadium. He had, a, he had a coming out party, if you will. Well, I mean, you know coming out party as I use in quotations, but still nevertheless. No, he hit a homer. Yeah. It was an, it was a, a not a cheap homer. No, and it, was, so it was it was his best velocity uh, exit velocity because we talked about that earlier in the year, Chris. Remember his ex, exit velocity was what, somewhere in the eighties? Something like that? Yeah, it was really low. It was yeah. his average exit velocity was like, you know, pitcher level. I think Scherzer had a better average oh, yeah. exit velocity. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Remember that, that was, <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> But yeah, I, I mean there there has been there's been a little bit too much flowery talk about him, but also oh, I, yeah. I I don't know if uh, I think maybe some progress has occurred. I think there might have been some real progress there. What I still don't know if there's more than a fourth outfielder there, but uh, I mean you kind of feel good for the kid uh, who was clearly overmatched and showed it every time he went to the plate that he finally you know he started he had a pretty epic at bat earlier this month or last month I guess. Uh, and uh, you know he showed some signs. I think you, you can see what they liked about him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it would have been worth the low-level prospect to be able to send him to Toledo for a number yeah. of at bats throughout the year. It would have been nice to see them try to work out a trade with Arizona so that he's not a clogging up the twenty-five man roster and b getting like consistent at bats throughout the year because um, he still has what probably less than two hundred for the entire year. Yeah, uh, he, he just needs more playing time than that. Yeah, unless the Diamondbacks were like, man, we really want him back. No way. Then it, it does seem kind of odd that they wouldn't do that. But uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe they were more dedicated to losing this year than it seems at times. I guess. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I, it'll be interesting following the, the, the roster moves this offseason. But, yeah, it's tough to guess right now. Yeah, and I mean, with that being said, I mean, even with like, now the lack of, uh, I think Ron Gardner was on the MLB Network saying something that they're not going to really call up a lot of guys either for the September call-up, so there we go. I mean, you're yeah, everyone everyone says that every year, though. Every yeah. manager says, oh, I don't want too many guys on my bench and, and whatnot, and they all call up, you know, uh, about the same yeah. number. 
So I a 25 man bullpen. I wouldn't read too much into that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It, you're right, Rob. Usually it's always some sort of case of just the most generic hot take saying or, you know, insert comment. Yeah, it was, it was usually Leland like, well, I'm not going to bring him up here if they're not going to play. I don't want you to clog up for space. I can get there and play it. <laughs> They'll pitch a half inning here and there, you know. But uh, no, and nevertheless, it's uh, as we've watched the Tigers play the last against the White Sox. Right now, it's in the rain delay. It's the top of the fifth. So uh, we're... Okay, well, they're up seven nothing. Yeah, be interesting if this one gets like canceled because of rain. Yeah, I don't think that will. will but it won't, it's not helping yeah. the ra- It's not. It's not helping the draft race. So um, yeah. we're out of time. Thank you so much for listening to Tigers SRD here on SportsRadioDetroit.com. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, Tigers SRD. Um, also, we're on Spotify and Google Play. Uh, Rob, do you have anything coming up that you wanted to pimp out for Bless You Boys? Uh, nothing in particular. Uh, there's always something going up every day, so though, so just check out, check us out, and uh, you'll hopefully have something worth reading. Oh, definitely cool. for sure. Um, and also, what was say? Um, Chris, how's it? Do you have anything coming out that you want to? <laughs> you asked me how my my draft window thing is. Were you? Oh no, 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 no! I, 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 I put that. I put that in the... I haven't done anything about it since. <laughs> no, I know. Um, I know you have that in the back burner at the moment. So, yeah, we're just doing. We'll be doing uh, recaps for each of the minor league teams, just about how their season went. Like starting with the DSL one Tiger. So nothing super exciting there. But I do still want, still have that piece about looking at the window, the next window of contention. But uh, yeah. I should shouldn't have talked about it until I put it out. No, it's okay. I, I'm 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 not, not going to bust your balls about that, so it's fine. <laughs> um, and then next week we're going to do our Tiger Minor Leaguers of the Year Awards uh, ceremony, and uh, we got a couple of uh, guys coming on for that, and uh, look forward to that. So um, I'm going to try to pronounce your name again, Rob Jojacki. There we go. No, uh, close uh, enough. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Rob, thanks so much for joining us. We Rob really Brojack. appreciate it. Rob. <laughs> damn it. Ah. All right. Um, <laughs> nevertheless. Rob, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Really appreciate it. Been a big fan of your work for a yeah. long time. This is, uh, it was an honor uh, to have you on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you.